0: This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Practice Hack of the Week. For me, the days leading up to an audition or competition were often way more stressful and unpleasant than the actual event itself. And inevitably, I'd play some mind games in an effort to try to relieve some of the pressure of doing well. Like trying to convince myself that I didn't care if I won the prize or passed the audition and brainstorming all the reasons why winning may not be such a good thing. With my Juilliard audition, for instance, I thought of all the possible cons of having to go to school in the city. Like the constant traffic noise, how gross the subways get when it rains or snows, the lack of intramural sports, a dining hall that wasn't all you can eat, you know, all the important stuff. Of course, that didn't do much to relieve any pressure. And I don't know that trying to lie to myself help me perform any better either. There is, however, a different kind of mental technique, known as cognitive reappraisal, that does seem to help us get to a better emotional place and perform closer to our best. What does that look like, exactly? A team of Caltech and Johns Hopkins researchers have published a series of studies over the last few years that have continued to add to our understanding of why it is that we sometimes choke under pressure. In a 2014 study, they found that people who were high in loss aversion tended to choke when there was more money to gain by performing well. This would be like if they said, if you perform well, you'll win $100. Curiously though, when the situation was flipped and they had to perform well in order to avoid having money taken away from them, they performed much better. This would be a scenario in which they were told, if you perform poorly, you'll lose $100 and owe us the money. This sounds like the opposite of what you'd expect, but an MRI component of the study suggested that it was as if the participants' brains kind of flipped during performance, seeing the prize as something they had to lose if they failed. A little like going into an audition and feeling the pressure build as you think about how great an opportunity it is if you won and stressing out about how perfectly you'll have to play in order to avoid losing this Instagram perfect future that your brain has gotten attached to. Anyhow, This finding led the researchers to wonder, would it be possible to get into a more optimal headspace by simply imagining that they were performing to keep what was already theirs? They started with 42 participants and gave them some time to learn a challenging new motor skill, a task that was a little bit like learning a new tricky move in a computer game. The next day, participants returned for some testing, with real money at stake as much as $100 if they could perform the skill accurately. To test out this gain versus loss mental strategy, they asked the participants to approach half of the performance attempts from a play to keep your money perspective. This is exactly what they were told. When the word loss appears on screen, you should regard the monetary incentives shown at the beginning of each round as your money. Imagine the amount in cash sitting in your pocket as you complete the round. Imagine that if you are successful on the round, you will get to keep your money. But if you are unsuccessful, you will have to give this money to the experimenter. Imagine how it would feel to lose this money. On the other half of the performance attempts, the participants were asked to adopt a play-to-win-some-money perspective. Specifically, they were told, when the word gain appears on screen, you should imagine that you begin each round with no money in your pocket. Regard the monetary incentive as an amount of money that you have the opportunity to win. Imagine that if you are successful on the round, the experimenter will give you this money, in cash. But if you are unsuccessful, you will end the round as you began, with nothing. Imagine how it would feel to gain this money. In reality, of course, they didn't already have any money in their accounts and would only win money if they performed successfully, which the participants were reminded of before they began. So did this imaginary framing of the situation actually do anything? The short answer is yes. It didn't matter so much when there wasn't a lot of money at stake, like from $0 to $75, but when they were playing for more money, like $100, and adopted the play-to-win perspective, where they said, I have nothing and I need to perform well in order to win $100, they tended to choke and perform worse. Meanwhile, on the performance attempts when they adopted the play-to-keep perspective, where they said, okay, I already have $100 in my pocket and I just need to perform well to keep it, they actually performed pretty close to their best. While performance dropped by almost 7% in the play-to-win scenario, for the individual with an average amount of loss aversion, in the play to keep scenario, performance dropped by only 1.5%. So what are we supposed to do with this information exactly? Well, this reminded me of a story my mom once told me when I was nervous before big performance. When she first came to the U.S., her very first job was as an instructor in the Japanese department at Cornell University. Though she could obviously speak Japanese, her English wasn't great, she didn't have much teaching experience, and being not a whole lot older than her students, she was understandably nervous going into her first class. To prepare herself mentally, she visualized what a successful class and semester would look like. She envisioned a classroom of smiling students who were fully engaged. She saw them coming up and thanking her at the end of class. And imagine them expressing their gratitude for her help and saying how much they enjoyed the course when the semester came to an end. She visualized this scenario repeatedly to the point that it no longer seemed like such a stretch. And wouldn't you know it, this is exactly how things played out. Her students were grateful, engaged, and she found that approaching each new class of students, assuming that they would love her teaching, worked much better than going into a new class expecting to have to prove herself. In fact, when she and my dad got married and moved to Ohio, her boss asked her if she would consider flying in to continue teaching. As a kid, I kind of rolled my eyes and didn't quite see how I could engage in this kind of make-believe, but the study suggests that there may be something to this. And how could this be applied to performing? Well, imagine walking into a concert hall full of people who you believe are primed and ready to love whatever it is that you've prepared for them where you have nothing to prove, and your job is simply to keep them engaged, sharing the little nuances and details that you think are really cool in the music that you're playing. Alternately, imagine walking into a concert hall filled with people who are sitting back and waiting for you to prove yourself to them, who you need to win over by demonstrating that you're totally worthy of their approval and attention. Feel any different? Whether it's the audience in your next performance or recital, an audition committee, or competition jury, if a proving mindset makes us tighten up and spiral off to the bad place inside, maybe it's worth giving ourselves permission to adopt an engaging mindset, and imagining that we already have the audience's attention and positive regard. After all, there's no way for us to know, let alone change, what's really going on in their heads. For all we know, the slight frown on their face has nothing at all to do with our Mozart, simply means they're pondering how best to rearrange their sock drawer and spark more joy for complete references links and other resources please visit bulletproofmusician.com slash blog